0: Good morning, everyone. I am really excited today to be here to discuss a really important topic with Patricia Balmer, who's here. And thank you. you've actually been here twice with us, I think in the last week, the Director of Government Affairs for the Greater Boston Real Estate Board. We're so thrilled to have you here. And I was thrilled to hear about this partnership between the two of you. Um, of course, we're thrilled to have you here, Evan Horowitz, the Director of the Center for State Policy and Analysis at Tufts University. We are going to dive right in today to this topic. I always joke that when we're on this podcast, we're meant to be... Sort of taking complicated topics and making them as simple as we can for the listeners because we know that a lot of the realtors that are listening, they need to know about these really important topics, but not a lot of people have a lot of time. So we're hoping this is their drive or something to go to a showing, but this is so, so, so important. I couldn't be more grateful that you guys took the time to come here today and talk about this with me and with us. And so the topic for today is the Community Preservation Act. We will refer to it as a CPA throughout the conversation. Evan has done a tremendous study that I did have time to read through this morning. Uh, (laughs) And we are going to make that long, long study into a very quick podcast here. So to kick off, if one of you can just help us to understand right off the bat, what is the CPA, the Community Preservation Act, and what role does it have in Massachusetts affordable housing?
1: So I just want to thank you for hosting us and we are... So, the Greater Boston Real Estate Board is so delighted to have Evan Horowitz as a partner on this important academic work. We have he has tremendous uh, respect on Beacon Hill, he's beginning to build an enormous portfolio. So, we are just Beyond excited that he has agreed to partner with us, and we're very lucky to have him to do this work. The Community Preservation Act—you know—why would a realtor care about, it and why would they be familiar with it? Most realtors might be familiar with it. It is a local option property tax surcharge, so your community uh, may have this tax, and they may not. Uh, so you may live in a community that is that has this Community Preservation Act, where they may not. But all of you uh, are paying into a matching trust fund, which goes to fund the Community Preservation Act through the real estate fees. So the, the Community Preservation Act, just to zoom out a little bit, whether your town has it or not, you are also paying into this fund. But it was a piece of legislation that was passed 20 years ago. It was a compromise that was reached between different groups who had an interest in preserving open space, historical preservation, and affordable housing. So that was the three sort of legs of the stool. And over the course of the years, the legislature has amended that act to include recreation. So you, as you're driving around your community, you may notice that parks and playgrounds, there'll be a sign that says funded by the CPA. So in terms of boiling it down to what you see in your community, that's the essence of the Community Preservation Act. But we wanted to take a look at it because it's a piece of legislation that's been in place for 20 years. So we just thought the time was ripe and we had an, a, incredible opportunity with a partner like Evan, who's very well respected, to just take a look and say, you know, it, now that this this law has been in place in 20 years, you know, is it working the way that it was intended? And is there an opportunity to just tweak it or improve it or modernize it a little bit? So we feel like this is going to really help inform the conversation about it.
2: Uh, partly because like, you know, the CPA is like a classic setup of a state local policy, right? So it, it, maybe the classic. Local communities decide they want to raise additional money, If they decide that, the state says, okay, since you opted into this program, we'll give you some funds so long as you use it for the legs of the stool that uh, Trish was just talking about. So it has this structure that has proved useful in a whole bunch of other areas you ask cities and towns to do something. If they do it, they get matching funds. So maybe we could take the structure and build on it to improve the ability of cities and towns to build housing.
0: Right. No, I love that. And it sounds like Really, in this most simplistic form, it's just. I think we're talking a lot. We've heard a lot about different, you know, transfer taxes and things like that. It's like we have this thing that's 20 years old. That anything in the world that's 20 years old, whether it's a system and any business, should probably be reviewed. And let's figure out before we start adding more things on, more taxes or whatever, we're going to have to design something new, or should we use what we have and what's sitting there? Um, Is that a pretty good why for our listeners?
2: Yeah. it's not just that we should take a look at a, you know any policy that's been around for 20 years. The whole world has moved on. Yeah. So the ambitions of the original policy no longer match the ambitions of Massachusetts today. Like Originally, this was a policy that was chiefly designed to limit sprawl. And limiting sprawl is just not a top legislative or policy priority in Massachusetts today, whereas building housing is.
0: Sure. Absolutely. I think there isn't one person that could disagree with you on that. Inventory is probably our number one issue at the moment. The report does mention that one in five CPA projects is dedicated to affordable housing, and less than one in 20 involves the creation of new homes.
2: Is the CPA working? Well, it, it's clearly not working as well as it could to produce new homes and support affordable housing, right? Like, you know, Trish mentioned three legs on the stool. It's housing, it's open space and recreation, that's that's one leg, and historic preservation, so if you just divided the projects up randomly, you would expect a third of them to be housing projects. But it's not. It's about a fifth. So that means the others are getting a lot more attention. So a lot more could be going on in the housing bucket and specifically in the new housing bucket. More than that, we found that you know when you look at those big numbers, sort of 20%, that's statewide. So that includes both the cities that are really committed to building more housing and the suburban areas that may be less committed to building mm-hmm. new housing. And if you instead look like sort of town by town, there are lots and lots of towns that are spending less than 10% of their CPA dollars on affordable housing. And really, they're supposed to spend at least 10% by the terms of the law. So there's a lot more that, well, there's a lot more towns could be doing. There's a lot more the state could be doing to incentivize towns to build housing using this existing money.
0: I couldn't agree more. So where is the housing being created? What does that mean for
2: housing availability in those areas? So I wish I had a more definitive answer. What I can say is where the money is being appropriated to build housing. So there are towns like Cambridge, and you've heard of it, the city. You've heard of Cambridge. I've heard of it, yeah. yeah. They take their CPA dollars and immediately put 80% of it into housing trust every year. Like, oh, we've got this money, we're going to put all of it into our housing trust fund. Now, does that mean they're spending all of it on housing construction? Maybe, maybe not. I wish I knew more. The reporting requirements are not great, but even that you would hold up as an exemplar compared to other towns that are getting their CPA money and putting 10%, the minimum, into a housing savings account and then never spending it. We don't really know where housing is being built. What we can say is we know a little bit about who's appropriating money for housing. Where, and it seems to be that the urban areas are devoting more of their CPA dollars to housing, whereas the suburban areas, less so. The rural areas are kind of interesting because, you might, I guess going into this, I, I sort of expected that the rural areas would look like the suburban areas. They'd be reluctant to build housing. They would use their money for open space. But that doesn't seem to be the case. The rural areas are much more likely to use their CPA dollars for housing, both affordable housing and new housing construction, um, than the suburban areas are.
0: Interesting. Well, that's a good thing. Can you tell us a little bit more or just give us a better explanation of what are these housing trusts? And I know the report came back that you obviously discovered that there's some issues with them. Can you get a little bit into that? Yeah, so
2: when I say that towns are spending X dollars on housing through CPA, whatever. That doesn't really mean that they're necessarily building new things. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of allowable housing spending possibilities. You can, for instance, hire consultants to help you with your planning. You can purchase land for future construction. You can rehab under certain conditions. And one of the allowable things is you can just take that money and put it in a local housing trust. This is a savings account. The idea there is eventually you're supposed to use that money to do one of the other allowable things, to uh, build housing or rehab or whatever it is. But once the money goes into that housing trust, there's very little insight into where it's going, is it spent, how it's spent. So we don't really know. Hmm. And these trusts have gotten really popular over time. In the early years, something like one in 10, 1 in 20 CPA housing projects involved just taking money and putting it into a trust. And more recently, it's more like one in three, one in four. So over 25 percent, almost 30 percent of all CPA housing spending is just, oh, I'll take my CPA dollars and I'll put it into the trust. And does that trust then go on and spend money to build housing? Maybe, but maybe not. And right. we don't really have enough insight into into that. And there are some, you know, the state has some reporting requirements. They're just not enforced.
0: Sure. 'Cause that kind of goes into my next question. There seems to be a lack of coordination between the CPA backed housing efforts and the broader town planning. Could you explain why this might be the case and maybe how they could improve that? It just doesn't sound like it's working.
2: Yeah, so so town governance varies a lot, like among towns, right? But one of the things that, that we found is that you know, CPA is overseen by a unique kind of CPA board. And so sometimes there are other planning parts of the town that are overseen by other boards. Now, usually there's you know there's a CPA member on the room, but they could still have different priorities. So we found, for instance, there are towns that use a substantial amount of their CPA dollars for housing, but they actually haven't seen their housing stock grow and they actually haven't had a lot of permits. And that's weird. And there are other towns where they've had a lot of permits. They seem to be building, but then they're not using their CPA dollars for housing. And that's strange too. You would expect these things to go... In parallel, sure. towns that care about housing would be using every available resource to support their housing, um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So there's some kind of bifurcated oversight that would be worth you know thinking more about or helping towns to address. Because one possibility is that the towns really want to integrate their planning, but people are getting in the way, processes are getting in the way, and they could use some technical assistance or some help streamlining or some pressure from the state to ensure that nothing gets in the way.
1: Sure.
0: So how can the CPA's capacity to fill the funding gaps contribute to new housing developments? And how can this be leveraged
2: effectively
0: versus what's happening now?
2: So the nice thing about CPA, as I said, you know, at the outside is like it's a it's a well-designed approach. And it's a simple approach. And it's an approach that has caught on in a lot of the state, right? Towns have to opt into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's forced to join. Okay. And about half of all cities and towns have opted in over the last 20 years. I mean, which speaks to, I think, the power of this. And the basic design, as I say, is, you know, we'll raise some money. You give us some matching money. We have to spend, or no, we have to dedicate 10% to housing, 10% to open space, 10% to historic preservation, and we have a lot to do over the rest. Now, if the priorities of the state have changed and housing construction is a major new focus, which it seems to be, right, from the, everywhere from the governor's office to the speaker and Senate president, then you could shift these rules a little bit without breaking them. You could say, you know what? We'll give you more matching dollars. If you build more housing, if you spend 20% of your CPA dollars on housing, you'll get more matching dollars. If you spend 10% on new construction, you'll get more matching dollars. Right. So it's the same basic setup, but you tweak it in a way that encourages towns to use more of their money for housing and less of it for historic preservation, or frankly, less of it to sit in a savings account. And that's something that the state could do without, you know, without real penalties, just by providing some carrots rather than uh, sticks.
0: Sure. I like that. And just getting a little deeper into that, obviously, the report suggests that the CPA could be a valuable part of the solution towards the statewide housing crisis with some changes. I think that's the big caveat. Can you discuss or dive a little bit deeper into just, we've obviously talked about a lot of ways that they could change it, but any
2: other sort of broad changes that we could make that maybe a simple solution to helping? I mean, I think the key thing to recognize about the housing crisis in Massachusetts is that there isn't one solution. Right. This is a multifaceted problem that is going to require lots and lots of different approaches, mm-hmm. uh, some local, some statewide, some national. Um, but the CPA is well positioned to be part of this kind of spectrum of solutions. And I think what it would take to be a more meaningful part is, yes, the state should incentivize more towns to invest their CPA dollars in housing by providing additional matching funding. Uh, also providing new technical assistance. So the state has some agencies that oversee housing, but there are definitely towns in a situation where they have money and they really want to invest in housing, but they're a little town and they're not expert on bonding. They're not expert on getting estimates and figuring out which is the best estimate. And they could really use some technical support. And if the state provided that in a a dedicated way with a kind of rapid response team, I think it would really make a difference for some towns. Now, there are other towns that they, they don't need technical support. They need will. And that requires something else from the state, but the state's well positioned to do that. And they're doing that in other domains where they're saying, you know what? You have to make these changes. I'm sorry. Uh, you like, you know, you like local control, but you, you need to make these changes because we run a T you know, there's a T station nearby are you So, you know, the, the state has a lot of options. And I think the cleanest ones for CPA, or to make CPA part of the solution, is provide some dedicated technical support and alter the matching formula in a way that really gets states, uh, cities and towns to prefer uh, housing spending to some of the other categories.
0: Sure. What I love most about this is that what we've discussed throughout, we've discussed a lot of different policy issues throughout this sort of series that we've been doing for just this year. We started about six months ago. And every time what it comes down to for me is that affordable housing obviously is a big issue in Massachusetts. And I think what happens with the emotional side of it is that if you don't agree with certain solutions, you don't care about the problem. And this report, I love so much because it dives into a real solution that's not emotional. It's to me, it's very, obviously, it's very logical. I really enjoyed reading it. I think it was really clear. And I love that we're actually diving into logistically, how could we actually solve this problem versus creating something new that we have to, you know, that's, I think that's what everyone's sort of stuck on is if we have this, right. And I'm just kind of summarizing for the listeners. We have this, it's been here for 20 years, it's in place. And all it would take is I love the three legs of the stool. It's very simple, but we just need to make some simple changes. And that's not something that should offend anyone or make anybody upset or emotional. It's just, it's a great conversation to have because we don't need to talk about more taxes necessarily when we have all this on the table, we just might need to tweak it. And it could be a solution to a problem like you mentioned that didn't exist 20 years ago necessarily to the degree that exists. Now we have different problems, just like most things 20 years later. And so I really love going through this. Is there anything else major you want people to take away
2: today? Well, first that we need to bring you along for the elevator pitch. (laughs) Uh, That that was fantastic as a summary. And I'm glad that you appreciated the report. Um, No, I mean, I, I think that's right. Like, Off-the-shelf solutions can be a very effective part of the way we address problems in the state, and not just housing, but more broadly. Like Very often, there are existing policies, and they're not working exactly the way we want, so we should change them. And you see this in tax policy, you see it in other areas, but there's no reason not to apply it in housing. We don't have to reach for either uh, novel, innovative solutions or solutions that haven't worked in the past that we think we can resuscitate and make work in the future, we have solutions that are working and could just work better and those seem to be at least the the lowest hanging fruit for a for problem like this
0: and that's exactly what i was thinking as well the lowest hanging fruit piece it's like it's the logical route which isn't as sexy right and so unfortunately we've become into this climate where things have to be loud and they have to be sexy and they have to be new and they want to catch a headline versus actually diving into like what solutions are on the table that might not be that same type of loud you know, catch someone's eye in that moment. And then they forget about it two minutes later, we need to dive deeper into what, what's on the table. And I really appreciate that just being in this climate that somebody's actually looking into what's on the table that we could utilize and roll our sleeves up and work together. And this is something that's not happening across the board in a lot of ways right now. So I give you all a ton of credit for doing this. And I'm Really so excited that we're here today together to talk through it. Because even for me, I think I mentioned to you, I have a background in public policy and worked in the financial services realm, right on the heels of... The last recession, and so around you know the str- the stress tests at the bank and Dodd Frank and all those things that I feel like were intentionally really complicated. And I was very young at that time, and I was very interested, but I was really interested in how do we make it simple because I feel like a lot of people in my generation weren't understanding. And it it was it just and this is reminiscent of that then in a way for the state of Massachusetts. It's we have a problem, we need to solve it, and there are very good solutions, but it's going to take a little bit less. Of one quick headline and a lot
1: more of working together and rolling our sleeves up. And I feel like that's this is a great start. And part of the brilliance of the CPA and people who put this law into effect twenty years deserve some credit, right? Because it was it's a local option tax. A community that chooses to opt into this can opt into it. It is by community vote. If there is a community wide need, the entire you you're you're getting community-wide buy-in on the concept. That community gets to vote on it. They get to decide for themselves. You're placing the burden of these big problems like housing and open space and, and historic preservation. Everybody has to play a part, right? Like everybody's invested in the solution to this and it's a community-wide vote. So taxpayers get the right and the choice to choose how they want their money spent. And it's, you know, in many ways, you know, it's a brilliant solution that they came up with 20 years ago. We just want to see if if there's an opportunity to modernize it. Is there an opportunity to to look at that statute as it was passed and figure out, is it meeting the demands of today? Mm-hmm. And are there things that we can do to improve it? We should be proud of the fact that we have the CPA because it, it you know, it's unique. And to your point, it's not just a simple, quick solution, right? It's not, you know, we're just going to add, add a tax on top of this. Mm-hmm. It's you know, there's there's nuance to it, right? You get the the state is providing matching funding, the local community is providing local support to it, but the taxpayers get to decide. They get to vote on it, and the entire community is sort of in in it together. To try to come up with solutions to the problem.
0: I love that. And
1: Trish, if you could just kind
0: of help send this home. I know I always think of this as like, okay, like I said, I'm a member of the yep. Greater Boston Real Estate Board. I'm an agent. I'm very busy. I need to understand what am I taking away and what action can I take
1: moving forward? So I think the biggest thing is just trying to understand. And I think you know, we, we see this sometimes with people that they, um, maybe they weren't around 20 years ago when this law was passed. I think number one, and I think you're doing, doing it through this podcast and for folks that are listening is to just educate yourself and understand the law as it is. I think maybe because it's been in place for 20 years, people don't always understand the history of it. Our organization, the Greater Boston Real Estate Board supported, uh, the CPA when it was signed into law. There's a, there's a great picture of, of Dave Luca a realtor standing right behind Governor Salucci at the bill signing ceremony uh, with Fred Meyer and Ed Shanahan, the former CEO. That was 20 years ago. So number one, realtors should educate themselves, try to understand it. And two, understand that this is something that we as an industry support. It's something they should be proud of, understand it, and that it's a viable solution. It's an alternative to some of these problems that communities are having. So You know, educate yourself, understand sort of what the realtor position is and how we've we've been involved in supporting this and try to get involved in your local community. If your community has the CPA, you know, all of this information is is available in terms of participating on a local level at your CPA committee, trying to get to know the folks that are there locally. You know, as Evan said, you know, I don't envy local municipal officials these days, particularly with everything that they've got on their plate trying to deal with these demands. It's hard being a municipal official, mm-hmm. you know. So if you have expertise as a realtor and you can provide expertise on a local community, get involved with the local decision making, you know, and maybe try to fill some of those gaps, you know, they're, everybody's looking for people to get involved in municipal government. And realtors have a lot of expertise when it comes to this this issue, so you know, tap into your knowledge and resources, and be available to a community, and try to be a partner as part of a solution to the problem because you do have expertise that that probably they would welcome, you know, if you can just sort of you know, avail yourself of that opportunity. It's it's an opportunity.
0: I love that, and and I think just to reiterate, there's a couple layers as a realtor why you should be paying attention to this. If you didn't know about the CPA and you do have it in your community. You should. You should know about it. There's a lot of conversations around affordable housing. I know we are seen as more of a luxury brand and we want to make sure that we're always seen as caring very much so about the inventory issue, about the affordability issue. This is a simple way for people to just kind of understand, peel the layers back here, listen to this podcast. You have an education right there. The other thing is, is I know that people get nervous within their communities and within their sphere of influence as, you know, brokers that they're going to alienate part of their client base because maybe they don't agree. And what I, what we've talked about with other policy issues is we need to take the emotion out of it. If we all care to get to the same solution, we need to just think of each other. Like It's it's okay to have an opinion that, around logic. And that's what I'm most excited about this because to me, it's just very logical. It's very even and it's very unemotional. It's just there might be some other ways we could be thinking about this. And that's the best part. So if you are somebody that's listening and you're, I hope grateful for this quick, great summary, I couldn't thank you guys enough for this. Think about that. Think about being also a little bit more than you're used to being maybe a little bit outside of your comfort zone. I think that everybody should think about being more vocal about this, especially if it's something within their community, because I don't think you're going to alienate clients with something based on this much logic.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's by community wide vote. So you're not, it's not like single segment of the Markets, you know, bearing the responsibility for you. All your neighbors and colleagues and friends in the in the in the town have voted to approve this. Each community is different, and they have to decide for themselves how they want to do it. But you know, a community can choose to opt into raising the property tax surcharge, and we've noticed a lot of communities within that have opted into CPR not fully maximizing the opportunity that's there. And each community has to decide, you know, what what is best for them. But there is an opportunity you know, both within raising the property tax surcharge and increasing the allocation up to 80% for affordable housing. It's not something that we, you know, across the board would direct any community to do, but just by being aware of where is, does your town have the CPA? What is the percentage of the property tax surcharge? And what's the percentage that they're allocating? Is it up to 80% or is it under 10% as Evan has found with a great deal of of his research? So um, more to come, I guess. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you would like more information, there will be a specific website that we will link here that you could go and dig a little bit deeper. If you want an introduction to either of these wonderful humans, I am happy to make that for You, you can reach out to me. And in the meantime, obviously, you can go on the Grab website and start to sort of look into that too. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. This is awesome.